0: You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. The reading of Scripture this afternoon comes from Romans 1, verse 16 to 32. Paul here quotes Habakkuk when he says, "...the righteous will live by faith." In verse 17. And Paul here in Romans also speaks about the righteousness from God being revealed. And he also speaks about the wrath of God being revealed. And both of those things are also spoken of in Habakkuk. And so we'll see that connection both in the reading and in the sermon. So we read the word of God now from Romans 1 verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the Gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the Gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The wrath of God They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, He gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Let us now continue where we left off this morning in God's Word in Habakkuk. This morning we saw Habakkuk's first complaint and the Lord's first answer, and now we look at Habakkuk's second complaint here in chapter one, verse twelve. O Lord, are you not from everlasting, my God, my Holy One? We will not die. O Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. O Rock, you have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made men like fish in the sea, like sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net he gathers them up in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? I will stand up my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me. What answer I am to give to this complaint? Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For The revelation awaits an appointed time. Speaks to the end. Will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the righteous will live by his faith. Indeed, wine betrays him. He's arrogant and never at rest because he is as greedy as the grave. And like death is never satisfied, he gathers to himself all the nations, takes captive all the peoples, brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ. The year of 2012 has been, generally speaking, another peaceful year for Canadians. There was not even a Vancouver riot like in 2011. Sadly, the same is not true of many other countries in the world that we live in. Think of Syria, Israel, Palestine, Afghanistan, Other countries all need our prayers to cease the conflict there, and we don't have that kind of conflict. Let's make no mistake. At the same time, brothers and sisters, we are soldiers in the midst of incredible warfare, and sometimes we can forget that. Right? We don't. We don't see barbed wire. We don't see machine guns. Fighter jets, tanks here, a missile passing over. Same time, brothers and sisters, we we are at war, and in order to to fight and to survive in this war, we need to see this war and we need to understand this war. And so, for us to do exactly that, we need to do it by faith. And it's true also of the people in Habakkuk's time. They needed to see the war that they were in by faith. The only way to survive this spiritual warfare is exactly that, by faith. So brothers and sisters with, with that in mind, bring to you the word of God under this theme in points. In the midst of astonishing wickedness, the righteous shall live by faith. And we see first another astonishing situation and we see second another astonishing answer. So first, another astonishing situation. So let's recap a little bit from this morning. This morning we saw that from Habakkuk's perspective, the first astonishing situation. And we also saw the Lord's first astonishing answer to that situation. Habakkuk, so we're recapping. Habakkuk was just astonished at the situation in Judah and how the Lord could tolerate it. The Lord then opened Habakkuk's eyes in the Lord's answer and said to Habakkuk, no Habakkuk, I'm not sitting back. In fact, Habakkuk, I'm raising up the Babylonians to deal with this situation. So here's the answer that Habakkuk receives and now he's even more astounded. He, he thought that Judah was bad. The Babylonians, they're even worse. And he most likely knows that they're coming. I mean, yes, thinking back to to those days, world news would have been slower than it is today. Much slower. But he would have kept up with it. And knowing that the Babylonians are coming makes him absolutely wretched. And so he cries out like before, perhaps now even more intensely, Oh Lord, are You not from everlasting? See here that it's a rhetorical question. It also expresses that Habakkuk's faith is not shaken in Yahweh, the covenant God, but he is perplexed. How can the One who always in the past, always before, always delivered them from wicked nations, how can He now raise the Babylonians against them? just astonished. How can his God do this? How can his Holy One? And Habakkuk says, my God. So Habakkuk, unlike the Babylonians, lives by faith in the true God as his strength. Because he says, my God. It's very personal. He takes ownership of who God is to him. The true God. And unlike the Babylonians as we saw in verse 11, their strength Is their God. But Habakkuk's strength, Judah's strength is not Habakkuk's God. Rather, the true God is his strength. And so there's very much a contrast here between the wicked in Judah and the wicked Babylonians. They look to themselves for their strength. Habakkuk won't put his trust in finances and military might in diplomacy. He wouldn't have won the American election. He's not a popular politician figure of his time. He lives by faith in God, even in this astonishing situation. And so for Habakkuk, knowing that God is sending the Babylonians, Habakkuk clings to his faith and he confesses, we will not die. He knows the righteous will not die. God is from everlasting and he's always faithful to his covenant. At the same time, Habakkuk can't To use an analogy, he can't take all the puzzle pieces, he can't fit them all together so that they fit, but he trusts God and he lives by faith anyhow. And the the main puzzle piece, to continue with that, that doesn't fit is expressed next. Oh Lord, You've appointed them to execute judgment? This is what Habakkuk doesn't understand. This is also... The heart of the issue, brothers and sisters, because God is Yahweh and God is a faithful covenant Lord. And He's a rock. That is, He gives protection. He gives stability. And then at the same time, these Babylonians who are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves, they're from His hand. How can this, how can this be? Yes, for sure. Judah is corrupt. Yes, for sure. Judah needs judgment. But from the Babylonians? How can the dots be connected? How do you, how do you connect the dots? It's seemingly unbelievable. And, and yet, Habakkuk doesn't resort to denial. Habakkuk doesn't resort to escapism. He doesn't stick his head in the sand. He faces the facts and we see him wrestle with the facts as he has them in his life in this way that is humble, in this way that's persevering. So, brothers and sisters, for us too, this humble, persevering trust, this humble, persevering wrestling with God needs to be ours as well. And our reading was from Romans 1. Romans 1 says, we live in a time when the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And this is, we think back, it's near the end of the year, we think back on 2012. We've seen the truth of this again. There's been hurricanes. There's been earthquakes. There's been false prophets. Perhaps you've had Jehovah's Witnesses knocking on your door again this year. There's been war. We mentioned that. There's been hunger. There's been disease. All kinds of things have been all over the world news. These last days, they're terrible days. And the righteous suffer with the wicked in these days. So as parents, we're concerned for our children growing up in this world that suppresses the truth. As grandparents, we're concerned about our grandchildren growing up in this world that suppresses the truth. And we wrestle with God in faith. And we also wrestle when we think of our brothers and sisters going through hard times, our persecuted brothers and sisters. We wrestle with God in faith, and we might ask, how come the righteous have to suffer with the wicked? And we wrestle with the titles of God. O Rock, O Lord, are You not our protection?" protector are you not our shield how can you look on while terrible things happen to your people and we like habakkuk in verse 13 wonder how the present situation can be and how can it be since we know the following about the lord we look at habakkuk's two statements about the lord and they're they're followed up by two desperate rhetorical questions First, the statements: your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Reminiscence, reminding us of Habakkuk's first complaint. Habakkuk, and we know, God loves purity. And God hates evil. And so the question naturally follows, since that's the case, how can he tolerate it? in His presence, it's disgusting to Him. Consider, for example, most people, to use to use an analogy, most people can't tolerate something like rotting manure in, in their presence. You know, it's disgusting, right? And so how much more can God not tolerate wrongdoing? We we wonder at this as, as we seek to live by faith. And since Habakkuk knows exactly this, he asks, Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? We are astonished and and perplexed at this. And in Habakkuk's case, the Babylonians, they're a treacherous people. Since they worship their military might, they see no need to deal fairly with the neighboring nations around them, the peoples around them. And they, they just... They just swallow them up. Like a, like a snake swallows a mother bird and her young. The snake doesn't ask questions about whether this is fair, this is just. No, the snake knows it's, it's more powerful. The snake just goes for it. It's, it's, it's hungry. It's more powerful and it goes ahead. So in the Babylonians too, they're hungry for conquest and their strength. It's unparalleled by their prey. So why should they worry about acting rightly? Why should they worry about acting justly? And their attitude, thinking of of today, is, is like those who persecute our brothers and sisters. So, again, how can such evil be tolerated? And why do we ask these questions, brothers and sisters? We ask these perplexing questions because we believe God is sovereign. If Habakkuk believed, like many today, that God just sits back. God watches passively as things happen. Watches things like the re-election of Obama. Watches the numerous abortions that happen, The, the popularity of homosexuality. If God just sat back and watched things like this, then Habakkuk would not be so perplexed. But it's precisely because... Habakkuk believes that the Lord is sovereign and in control of day-to-day events that he wrestles with the Lord. And for us too, that is why we also wrestle with the Lord. And then we see that, in fact, his wrestling is even intensified in verses 14-17. to In verse 14, Habakkuk doesn't get why you've made men like fish in the sea. Like sea creatures that have no ruler. Wow, what an image Habakkuk has of men before the Babylonian hordes. They're like fish. Men whom the Lord made ruler over the fish of the sea are being treated like sardines. It's it's astonishingly inhumane. And Habakkuk then continues to describe the inhumanity of, of it all in verse 15. He continues to compare men to fish. The, the wicked foe, he pulls all of them up with, with hooks. He catches them. In his net, he gathers them up in his dragnet. And if only it was a figure of speech that Habakkuk was using. But sadly, the, the cruelty of the Nazis and their treatment of the Jews is not a match by the Babylonians. The Assyrians before them had this practice of shoving a hook through the lower lip of their captives right where it's sensitive. And then this would keep them all in line so they'd be in a chain, and that would keep them in line. And the Babylonians continued in this practice of the Assyrians. So it's just this astonishing brutality, brothers and sisters. And then it gets worse. Sadly, also, the net that Habakkuk speaks of is most likely literal as well. I'm thinking of archaeological finds. The sculptural work has been found with the Babylonian gods dragging their captive enemies in a net. And they're They're squirming in this net and it's just terrible cruelty. And then as we, as we follow Habakkuk, we see that it's on account of these horrible activities that what do the Babylonians do? They in fact rejoice and, and and they're glad. And it's also on account of these activities that they offer a sacrifice to their, to their net and they burn incense to their fishing net. So. In other words, they're they're so pleased with their success. They're they're so pleased with all their captives and all their booty that they worship the means of achieving what they wanted. So they worship the means of achieving what they wanted. And the fact that they worship like this indicates their their thinking is, is so futile that they even think they're in the right. No wonder Habakkuk is so perplexed that God is using them to punish. And why, why do they do this? Why do the Babylonians do this? It's because through these things, their catch is large. So the net. And through these things that their, their food is plentiful. So in other words, they have what they want. And then they love taking time to worship their own military might because it brings them big dividends, you could say. It brings them a large portion. So they're very content. They're very content worshiping creation. So content, in fact, that they forget their Creator. And they don't live by faith in their Creator, and they are not righteous. And it's, it's all of this that leads a perplexed Habakkuk to a question about the future. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? Also, we might ask, thinking of today again, how long will our brothers and sisters be persecuted? Oh Lord, will they be persecuted in 2013? Habakkuk's picture here, going back to our text, is of the Babylonians like a fisherman, we've been getting that already, emptying their nets, like fishermen, emptying their nets of victims. And these victims, they're, they're, they're wounded, they're, they're broken, they're dying. The Lord's compassionate. The Lord is just. These Babylonians, they're vicious. They're cruel. The Lord's instrument doesn't match His character. That's at the heart of this. The Lord's instrument doesn't match His character. They destroy nations without mercy. They destroy nations without sparing. It's so perplexing for Habakkuk as he seeks to live by faith. And now Habakkuk is finished with his complaint. Now he prepares himself to receive a response from the Lord. And he demonstrates here an attitude that lives by faith. He demonstrates the attitude that says, what does the Lord say? He doesn't arrogantly wonder what, what what do I think? No, he, he asks, what does the Lord say? To find out what the Lord says, the Lord thinks, what do we see Habakkuk do? We see that Habakkuk stands on his watch. He stations himself on the ramparts. So Habakkuk is like a watchman. And his role here is to look And his role is to look and see what is coming. And he's on the rampart to see what answer the Lord would give to his complaint. The Hebrew actually reveals that Habakkuk is waiting to be reproved. So he's, he's standing here, and he's waiting on his watch, and he's waiting to be rebuked. He's already complained to the Lord once. He's received an answer. Now he's complained again. And so here he is on the watchtower And he readies himself to hear the Lord's answer to his complaining about the Lord's sending of the Babylonians. So he's about to be answered again. Another astonishing answer. Second point. And the Lord replies to Habakkuk, as he always does when his people truly and humbly wait on him in faith. And he says, write down the Revelation... Make it plain on tablets, so that a herald may run with it. So Habakkuk braces himself for a rebuke for nothing. Instead, the Lord here responds to two commands. So write it down, make it plain. And for what reason? So that a herald may run with it. Or, more literally as the footnote, has it so that whoever reads it may run with it. So, we can understand this, brothers and sisters, in in one of two ways. The Lord may be speaking of inscribing, making plain the revelation on a sign. So, the idea of a successful advertisement, as you might find on the... Langley Bypass or Fraser Highway. So that may be what is meant. The the idea of like an advertisement making plain the revelation on a sign. Alternatively, there's also the fact that in Scripture, the prophets are pictured as running with their revelation from the Lord. So in other words, the act of running is the same as that of bringing God's Word. And proof for this can be found in Jeremiah 23 verse 21. In view of Jeremiah, I think I think this is more likely the meaning. But whatever the case, the, the question in Habakkuk's time and our time is, will the people listen to what God says in these dark days? Will they listen to the reason for this revelation? And it's in verse 3 that the Lord gives the reason. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks to the end and it will not prove false. What's happening here, brothers and sisters? Habakkuk is being told to, to rethink his calendar and scheduling. The Lord's telling him, Habakkuk, you're not thinking long-term enough. He needs to trust the Lord's calendar of events. The Lord speaks of His own appointed time. The Lord not acts not in Habakkuk's time, but in his own time. And this astonishing answer demands faith in what the Lord's doing. And also, the, the nature of this written revelation is that it's eager to come to pass. Instead of translating it speaks to the end, it would be better translated it, it yearns or, or, or pants for the end. The revelation is like a person wishing and, and straining for the end. For its fulfillment. In order to understand this better, let's let's use an example. Let's use an example to understand better what's meant by by the end. Often in the Old Testament, the end indicates a conclusion to something, a wrapping up, a termination. So, for example, boys and girls, you you know about this, I think. Exodus 12, verse 41 says, at the end of 430 years, to the very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. Okay, so after 430 years, on an appointed day of the Lord, the end of slavery came for God's people. So it was that day, that appointed day. There's the termination point. There's the conclusion. It was what God's people had been waiting. It is what they have been hoping for for 430 years. Just this astonishing amount of waiting. Do we know how to wait on the Lord like that? On our calendar, that's a perplexingly long time. And the Lord also says to Habakkuk, though it linger, though it linger, we'll wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. In the Hebrew, like the NIV translation, it's very emphatic. It will certainly come. And when the Lord's appointed time does come, it will happen right then. Then, no delay. So again, working with that Old Testament example, it's just like the day that the Israelites went out of Egypt. Boys and girls, how did they leave? They left in haste, right? Quickly eating the Passover with their cloaks tucked in their belts, their sandals on their feet, and their staff in their hands. The appointed time had come. And so also the revelation that Habakkuk received, it would come about with without delay. So he could be sure of that as, as perplexed as he might be. So that leads us to, what's the revelation exactly? We see that begins in verse four and five it begins with see he is puffed up his desires are not upright but the righteous will live by his faith So here's the Lord's answer to Habakkuk the Lord says behold the Lord says see the Lord says look the proud man he's puffed up the proud man he's he, he's bloated he's he's inflated. So being proud is clearly an unhealthy state to be in. It's a disgusting problem, you could say. The Hebrew could actually also be translated as, as tumorous. The, the one who is proud is like one who has these unsightly growths on him. So the idea that pride is disgusting and unsightly reminds us of what the Lord said about the Babylonians in verse, in uh, chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. They deride kings, they scoff at rulers, guilty men whose own strength is their God. So the Babylonians they do disgusting things. And furthermore, the one who is puffed puffed up has desires that are not upright. He's not able to do what's right. He's he's like God's people in Judah who pervert justice. He's like the Babylonians whose wine betrays them. And where does this lead? Great example of this in scripture, of this proud attitude, it's in Daniel 5. Boys and girls, you know this, this story in Daniel 5. So you have King, King Belshazzar and the Babylonian nobles, so it's the, the Babylonians themselves, and, and they're proudly drinking and, and feasting. They're, they're, they're around the table doing that. And then in their arrogance, they drink from the, the gold and the silver goblets that were from the very temple of the Lord. And their, their greed, their, their arrogance, their pride betray them. While, while they drink, or while they feast, the, the Medes and the Persians, they sneak under the city wall using a waterway. So this is while they're proudly drinking and feasting. And Daniel 5 says, Belshazzar is slain that very night. Their pride. Their pride. Those their downfall. And we have this contrast in Habakkuk that in contrast to the proud, the righteous will live by His faith. So the proud are going down. They're going to die. Their end is destruction. But the righteous, the righteous will live. And the righteous are those with upright desires in Judah. And again, this contrast to those who are wicked in Judah, to those to, to the wicked Babylonians, to the coming Babylonians, the Babylonians and the the wicked in Judah, they actually thought that they were in the right in their proud and in their twisted imaginations. But how do you, how do you, how did they fall into that trap of thinking? How do you fall into that. It's because they relied on themselves for their own standard of righteousness. That's how you do it. Because if they were to honestly put themselves before the true standards of God, they would realize that they were not righteous at all. So again, in contrast, the truly righteous man would live by his faith. You could could also say that the truly righteous man would live by his steadfastness. The people of Judah in this terrible time with the Babylonians coming, they needed to be steadfast. They needed to be firm. They needed to be faithful. That would require so much humility and so much perseverance in the face of, of coming suffering. Uh, think think for example of some of you may be familiar with the life of Corrie Ten Boom during World War II in the face of the Nazi invasion. She just lived this astonishing life. So similar, and it's because she really strove to put her life outside of herself in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's similarly that these righteous people in Judah, they put their trust outside of themselves. That's, that's the key here. Put their trust outside of themselves. And so therefore, their life, instead of death, that also came from outside of themselves. They lived because they put their trust outside of themselves. And like Habakkuk, they put it in Yahweh. They put it in their rock, their God, their Holy One. Because He gives life to His people. He saves His people. The people in Judah who trust that, just like like Habakkuk does, they are the righteous ones. It's amazing because they... They do not trust that they can save themselves. They don't trust in their own military might. That's an incredibly difficult thing to do when you're in that kind of trouble. And it's such an opposite world, such an opposite view, such a different way of looking at the world than the way that our society looks at life. People trust themselves so naturally. That's just why God's answer here is so astonishing. And then looking ahead from Habakkuk's time, as as we also had in our reading, Paul, in the Spirit, he uses Habakkuk's very words in his letter to the Romans. For in the Gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. In other words, just as the righteous people in Judah live by faith because they trusted in God's saving ways rather than their own proud ways. So Paul tells us and the Romans that the righteous will live by faith today as well. And we're given the status not because of anything that, that we proudly do. It's because we humbly receive the activity of of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins. And Paul goes on further in Romans to explain that it is the gift of God for us, to us. And we struggle then to live out of humbly and constantly receiving this gift. And because, brothers and sisters, if we don't, then we struggle to proudly live outside of ourselves, like the world around us, and we resemble doom Babylon as mentioned in Babylon. And we resemble Doom Babylon, as mentioned in Revelation. And then we, we we should remember too that in Romans one, yes, the righteousness of God is revealed. But remember, Paul also says that the wrath of God is being in, is being revealed. It's being revealed now. It's being revealed against proud lifestyles that reject God, the attitude that rejects God as Creator. And as deserving of worship. And this rejection is done for a purpose. It's done in order to glorify instead what's what's created. It's the attitude that says, I am going to worship. I am going to replace as my object of worship. Not, Not God the Creator. Instead, I worship created things. Perhaps my job. Perhaps my sex life. Perhaps my dreams, my money. And the list, of course, goes on. And it's this kind of attitude that resembles those wicked attitudes, past wicked attitudes in Judah, in in Babylon. And people in our society, they they don't appear as wicked as they really are sometimes. Because, again, as we said this morning, the, the tree is quite green here. Times are still pretty good. But brothers and sisters, don't be deceived by appearances. The wrath of God is not only being revealed to these people in this life, but it's also being revealed in the next life to them. And if proud people think that the consequences are tormenting now, they're fooling themselves because the consequences in this life have nothing on the consequences in the next life what our Lord Jesus describes the eternal weeping, the eternal gnashing of teeth. God's wrath is astonishingly terrible. So, brothers and sisters, the only way, just like in the time of Habakkuk, the only way to live is, is by faith. And this doesn't mean back then that your earthly life, your earthly existence, your life would, would continue when the Babylonians came to invade. So, uh, In the same token, it doesn't mean today that Christians will automatically live to an old age. But it does mean that they will live because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And it does mean that they will be raised on the last day and that they will live forever on this heaven and earth made new. And so will all of us, brothers and sisters, who humbly and perseveringly strive to live by faith. And finally, brothers and sisters, so go into this week, let us take away remember the words of the Lord Jesus in Revelation 22. And remember also, He will not delay in His coming. He says, Behold, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me. I'll give to everyone according to what He's done. So live by faith in Him, brothers and sisters. And look forward not only to another year with the Lord Jesus, but more importantly, look forward to forever with Him.